Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney. And Eric, it is our final podcast of the year. But before we move on to 2023, there is a loose end we have to tie up for 2022. And it's important stuff. Uh, Last week, you mentioned that your dog, Otis, had been to the vet and been drugged up and that he had shaky legs reminiscent of a slightly punch drunk boxer but you couldn't quite put your finger on which boxer but now thanks to a regular listener that's a mystery that's been resolved yes yes a shout out to Chaz uh, who contacted us a day or two after the podcast posted with just the right wobbly fighter (laughs) Junior Jones at the conclusion of his 1997 fight with Kennedy McKinney and I should have been able to think of that one since I was there. Uh, that that was the co-feature to Hamed Kelly at the Garden. Ah. Probably the all-time greatest consecutive fourth-round knockout fights in boxing history. <laughs> <laughs> There's a future uh, top five list idea for you. Uh, anyway, uh, Junior Jones, uh, for those uh, who, who aren't familiar with the fight, he mostly dominated the first three rounds but punched himself out in the fourth, and McKinney took advantage. And Junior's legs weren't quite right. He was unsteady, lurching a bit. And when he got up from the big right hand that dropped him, he careened forward slowly and the fight was stopped. Pretty darn similar to Otis trying to find his legs. Uh, so look that one up on the YouTubes if you want to more or less be able to envision what poor Otis looked like after the sedatives fully kicked in. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I said it in a tweet response to Chaz. <laughs> This is the kind of analysis you don't get on any other boxing podcast. You, you, you just don't. Really, anywhere in the sport. Uh, I, I defy you, Al Bernstein and Mauro Ronaldo, the next right. time that you have to fill time to come up with something quite like this. That's when we'll be getting the call. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if, uh, if they're really desperate, if they have like a lot of time to kill, they should just patch us in live and say, Mulvaney, Raskin, we need you. Go. Right. Or they might just bypass us and go straight to Alfie and Otis. <laughs> <laughs> don't give Cheaper. our bosses don't give our bosses any ideas, Karen. <laughs> no, indeed. All right. Uh, this week on the Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney holiday extravaganza. Don't expect anything too time sensitive or up to the minute. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, Eric will have been on vacation for several days. It's the week between Christmas and New Year's. And everything you're listening to was recorded the week prior. We're not reviewing fights or previewing fights. And we don't have a traditional news segment, but here's what we do have. Eric will get his next top five assignment so he can come out firing with a countdown on our first show of 2023. I'll play a round of the fight game with Eric giving clues. We will reveal all of our picks for 2022 year-end awards. That's round of the year, knockout of the year, upset of the year, fight of the year, and fighter of the year. We do have one somber news item to cover, as Hall of Fame referee Steve Smoga died the week prior to Christmas, and we want to pay tribute to him. Uh, But first, speaking of Hall of Famers, we have a tremendous guest on the line. Uh, We wanted our final guest of the year to be a special one, and our wish was granted. A former two-weight world titleist, he has segued effortlessly into a career as an expert analyst for ESPN. And he is now a member of the newest class of the International Boxing Hall of Fame, a thoroughly deserved honor, Tim Bradley. Welcome to the Showtime Boxing Podcast. Thanks for that intro, baby. That's sweet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's well-deserved, as is your your Hall of Fame induction. Congratulations on that. Now, now, you, you getting into the hall wasn't a surprise to us, but, you know, it wasn't a total guarantee either. 
Um, after waiting out a couple of really tough years on the ballot with, you know, you had sure shots like Mayweather and Hopkins on there. Did you think this would be your year? And also just tell us your story of getting that phone call from Ed Brophy. I wasn't sure. I mean, to be honest with you, I wasn't sure because I, I I thought I was going to be able to get in or squeak, squeak in there the last couple of years. But like you said, that that ballot was was whoo, they had some, <laughs> some killers on there, man. And I was just like, man, those guys are definitely uh, legends of the sport. And um, I said, well, I may have to wait one more year or whatnot. But this year, I still, you know, I'm still still skeptical about it. You know, you just you just never know. Um, never know how everyone's going to vote. Um, but I'm glad that I did get in, but getting that phone call, man, it's a weird story because I was literally helping my wife, um, take her car. She, she, she got a flat, but pretty much got a flat. She was in the middle of nowhere. So I had to track her down. I finally track her down. I get to where she is. I tell her to take my truck because she has some business she needs to take care of in Palm Springs. And so she takes off and then. Like, next thing you know, I'm sitting in her vehicle waiting on the tow truck. She turns around, and I'm like, what's going on? Why is she turning around? It's like, what the heck's going on? So I immediately call her, and she didn't answer, of course. So then she gets out the truck, comes over to me, and she says, here, you have a phone call. And I'm like, like, who is it? She was just like, I don't know, here. She hands me the phone, and it's like, I'm like, listen, hello? And they're like, is this Timothy Bradley? I'm like, yes. This is the international box. Oh, my gosh. I, <laughs> I broke down. I was on the side of the road. People were flying past, seeing me break down on one knee. Maybe they thought I was proposing to my wife or something. I don't know. <laughs> but let me tell you, man, it was crazy. The emotion that went through my body, man, I, it was unbelievable. I sat there in tears. I was looking at my wife, and we were just excited joyful and and it was just an unbelievable feeling man and he was going over just everything the week and how things are going to go and he's going to be sending me a package and so on and so forth and and so it was uh it was definitely a a dream come true uh i i mean this is the ultimate man this is exactly what i set out to do since i was 10 years old so understand that since i was 10 years old i knew about the boxing hall of fame i knew you know, that's where I wanted to go. I wanted to compete against the best. I wanted to be recognized as one of the best fighters ever. And it happened, man. It happened. My dream came true. I mean, that's, it's it's great to hear you say that because that was, that was going to be my question. When you started out and even all the way through your career, it's great to have that goal. Did you ever, were you always thinking to yourself, man, this is it. I'm going to wind up there. Or were there times where you had doubt and you thought it's just never going to happen for me? Um, I, I thought, I, you know, look, we have goals and there were some goals in my career that I was not able to meet. So I know like, you know, you can come, I can come close. Maybe, maybe I could get in, maybe not. But I think after fighting Marquez and defeating him the way I did, I, I, I was like that right there. Cause my dad was preaching it through the whole entire camp. This the one that's gonna get you in the Hall of Fame, baby. Mm-hmm. Understand that this Marquez victory gonna get you in the Hall of Fame. They gonna respect you after you whoop his behind. So, <laughs> you know, and I can still I barely hear it, my dad's voice, and you know, in my head because I remember him saying that through the whole entire camp. And you know, coming back from the Ruslan Pavanikov fight, you know, uh, it, it was all odds were definitely against me, man. No one thought I was gonna be able to pull off that victory against Marquez because. 
Marquez just literally flattened Manny Pacquiao, you know. And I, I, I mean, you know, going into the fight, of course, the nerves were, were were up, and you know, I was a little timid because I had taken big shots in the Pavanikov fight, and I know that Marquez was a big puncher. But man, once I got in there, man, just you know, something took over me, and I was able to dominate him. So, with that being said. I knew sooner or later after that victory that I should be able to get in, fought a ton of undefeated fighters. Uh, I never fought for a vacant world championship. I unified the titles at 140 twice. I fought uh, uh, you know, a handful of undefeated guys. I fought champions, former world champions, top contenders. I did I did the best that I possibly can. That was, you know, with my cards that were dealt to me. So uh at the end of the day, yeah, I, I thought eventually someday that I would get in there. So you uh, I, I want to talk about some specific highlights of your career. And you just you know, you mentioned some of the big fights, um, mm-hmm. but I, I, I want to go back a, a little before uh, some of those ones you mentioned. Uh, you know, you, you've managed to fight on just about every network and pay-per-view arm over the course of your 12 years in the ring. But but early on, a lot of your opportunities came here on Showtime, including your first title win, what was considered a mild upset at the time over Junior Witter. What memories stand out to you from that fight in England and, and how critical was that one looking back and launching you on the path to the Hall of Fame? That right there was the was the probably the launching pad for my entire career. That kind of like framed where I was going to end up because I think I was the fifth person in history behind, I think it was Marvis Hagler, to win a title in, in England. So it was a surreal moment at the time. I knew, man, seriously, I had studied Junior Witter for over a year. I knew his every move. I felt like I was destined to, to win. Um, I wasn't nervous over there. I was full of energy, and I was confident going into that fight. And when I went into the ring, I remember I remember hearing that national anthem, in, and, you know, I remember fighting the first round, and I felt like I belonged. I was like, I belong here. I belong here. And I was one of those guys that, like, I fed off negative energy. You know, I don't know if you noticed that, but I, negative energy, like, I love, like, the negative energy when people say that I can't do something. Like, that right there is what, like, turns me on. That right there is what keeps me focused. So that whole week, that's what I was hearing. During the course of the fight, that's what I was hearing. People were, were bashing me, and I was just like, well, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. But when I when I got my hand raised, and I think it was the sixth round, the sixth round is when things changed. Mm-hmm. When I knocked him down in the sixth round in his corner, that's when everything changed. And I knew that, like, I had to finish strong and that if I finish strong, that it's a possibility I could win on the cards, which I did. But shortly after that, man, after that, I, I got this, like, bug that's just, you know, this winning, this bug, like, this obsessiveness about the sport, about my craft. Like, it was on a totally different level. And if you can, re- if you recall my story early on, I saw my wife the day of the fight, four o'clock in the morning. I usually, I stayed up through and through the entire night and, and half of the morning. Then I went to sleep during the day and then I was up at night. So when I saw my wife, she said, babe, I said, yes. I said, I'm glad you're here. She said, we have $14 in our bank account. I spent our last 300 something dollars to get here you have to win this fight. And I told her, I said, I will. And, and get along, think about this. We had two kids. So my wife had two kids from previous marriage. So I had to take care of them. So I said, 
mark my word, I'm going to win this fight. No doubt about it. I will win, baby. And, you know, so I win and <laughs> the rest is history. I think okay. everything else just started compounding after that. I, 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 I moved forward. Uh, I fought Edna Cherry. And then right after Edna Cherry, I went after another titleist. And that was Kendall Hall. <laughs> so I wasn't playing, man. I was right. not playing. Like, I wanted to kill two birds with one stone. I wanted to fight the best, make the most money up off the can. That's it. Talking about negative energy, 10 years ago, you scored probably the biggest win of your career when you outpointed Manny Pacquiao, but you didn't really have much of a chance to enjoy it because instantly people were like, he didn't deserve that. <laughs> you know, it's all a fix and so on and so yeah. forth. And you were injured in the fight at the press conference afterwards. You were yeah. sitting there in a wheelchair. It was... Man, did, did, did that reaction to that win, did it eat at you then? Does it eat at you now? Or have you, if there was any negativity there, have you moved past that? That, you know, at that point, at the, at the time, it was one of the hardest, the hardest times in my life. It was for my family, hardest times for my family, my wife, my kids. Think about this, being the laughing stock, one of your community, being the laughing stock of the entire world. You have senators, you have celebrities chiming in. You know, it feels like everyone is completely against you. Uh, I was put in that situation. Um, but also it was a it was a blessing at the same time because it gave me tough skin. It, it mm. made me develop this like this just this layer of protection uh, against verbal abuse. Uh, a lot of the, a lot of the kids nowadays, they deal with uh, a lot of people social media they deal with they have a hard time with with people's opinions and you know it made me really realize that hey i have an opinion also you know um the way you may perceive things is not the way i perceive things you know what you're entitled to your opinion you know we have the right to say what we feel you know uh at times and and you know what I, i'm okay with that and if you feel that way that's fine because and ultimately, at the end of the day, I learned about myself, man. I learned about myself. I learned about what was important to me, which was my family. Um, and I didn't know that. I wanted everyone to, like, love me and everyone to like me. And, and then coming through, going through that, it's just like I was like, you know what? Everyone don't doesn't love me. And the ones that do love me, those are the ones I should care about. You know, those are the ones that the opinion that matters, you know, is the ones that do care about me and they love me. But the ones that don't, ah, it's okay. It's all right, you know. And once I learned that, man, I, I think I grew wings. And now I'm just fearless. Uh, I, I, I'm thankful that I went through it. I thank God. Because I, I think that God prepares you for, you know, other things. You know, I'm in a different profession now. And I'm on the other side. So criticism come along with the sport uh, of boxing and commentary and analysts. It comes along with that but I'm perfectly fine in my skin being who I am. And so I thank Manny Pacquiao. I thank the world for, uh, you know, giving me these wings because it's really hard for people to really understand it at the end of the day, especially when they're knee deep into the turmoil and, and of, of what the world can be and how harsh the world can be towards you. Yeah. Well, one consequence of that Manny Pacquiao fight was it, it, it influenced uh, your mentality going into the next big fight you have, probably your most exciting fight, the 2013 fight of the year between you and Provodnikov. Uh, you you were very open after that fight uh, about the damage that you that you suffered in that war. Um, and, and you did retire just three years later, still young, just 32, still a top fighter. How big a role did 
the Provodnikov fight play in the fact that you ended up not hanging around boxing too long? <laughs> exactly. It took years off my career, without a doubt. But I, I was, I was, I would say I was small for the weight class. I, I had good speed, not crazy speed, footwork. Uh, had a really good uh, ring IQ. Uh, but I, I lacked in punching power, and I was short. So, you know, I was <laughs> – when I go into fights, man, these guys fighting at welterweight, I, I wasn't a welterweight. I didn't belong at the welterweight division. I was a small guy. Hmm. So fighting against these guys, they can punch. Uh, a lot of guys are quick, uh, and I had to take more chances, more than none, to be able to pull off a victory. So I took a lot of, I took a lot of punches. You know, I had to. So the Pavanikov fight – this is how important being, you know, mentally ready for a fight. You know, I, I always say boxing is 90% mental. Everybody always gets ready as best as they can. They always come in shape. They always run the miles, some more than others, but everybody tend to do that. But when you're not right mentally going into a fight, I, I don't care how hard you train. You have to be mentally focused and geared and to pull and actually to actually follow the game plan that you have. The game plan was to box. But I came in, I had a chip on my shoulder. I wanted to prove to everybody that I was I was a true champion because I was told that I wasn't a champion, that Manny Pacquiao was a champion, that, you know, I, I got lucky or I didn't win. And, and just all these things was going through my mind. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to show the entire world who the hell Tim Bradley is and what I'm about. So when I went in there, I mean, I, I wanted to fight. I wanted a fight against a vicious puncher in Ruzan Pavanikov. And <laughs> you saw the, you saw the <laughs> results of it, man, honestly. It was a brutal fight. It was fight of the year, 2013. Um, it's something that I would say again, it's bitter and it's also sweet. Mm -hmm. I took so many shots, I had to retire early. Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't able to take punches like I was, you know, beforehand, before that fight. Um, you know, and the sweet thing about it is that the fans finally said, you know what? We applaud you, Bradley. Thank you so mm -hmm. much for bringing us, you know, giving us that excitement and bringing that, that level of determination because I've never seen it like that in a fighter. So I was like, Hey, you, well, then you welcome. You're welcome fans. <laughs> right. You're welcome fans. Yes. You know, <laughs> we, we, we do appreciate it. And it lives on uh, wherever we, anyone can, can rewatch it, uh, of course. But I guess it kind of sounds like your attitude is you're okay with having gone through that once there were some benefits. You're probably glad you yeah. didn't have two fights like that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't have two fights like that. Absolutely. Uh, one was good enough for me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So we've talked about some of the obvious fights, Pacquiao, Provodnikov, Marquez. Do you have any, like, are there any forgotten gems, little fights that you look back on that are important to you that maybe you wish that people would ask you about more? Wow, that's a great question. Holy moly. That's a really good question. Um, I would say there was a fight I fought against. Uh, who was that opponent I fought against? I forget his name. I wish I had my. I wish I could pull up the my resume right now. I, I have your box rec in front of me. If you can tell me the time frame and some details, I, think I might. It was around my sixth fight, maybe. He oh, was a Brazilian back. guy. He was a Brazilian guy. Was it? Um, let's see here. Justo uh, Almazan or I, I think Mark it might have been him. I think okay. it might have been him. Was, okay. What fight was that? Like my sixth fight, seventh would, fight? Yeah, that was your sixth was Almazan. Your seventh was a guy named Costa, eighth Cervantes, one of those guys? No, nah, no, nah, it was Almazan. Okay. 
Anyway, okay. he was a Brazilian fighter. Uh, uh, tall, tall, rangy, strong looking. You know, I thought I had the best body in boxing. No, absolutely not. This guy <laughs> looked like a specimen. He was just something out of a freaking, you know, uh, vowel. He, I was like, my gosh, who is this guy, right? He comes in. Um, we're doing the press conference. First of my time, he's seeing him, and I'm just like, oh, my goodness. Like, <laughs> this dude is like six <laughs> foot, you know, strong looking. I'm like, okay, he's confident. You know, he got the suit on. He's looking, you know, everybody's like saying hello to him. And like, you know, poor old Tim Bradley. I'm sitting <laughs> up there by myself, you know, with my team. And, you know, we get to the fight. It's in L.A. And everybody's like kind of like silence no one's really talking to me like I felt like I was like the ugly stepchild or something I was like man what's going on like what what, everybody think I'm gonna lose this fight so again that negative energy man I could see it I could feel it and I'm just like okay everybody's against me all right I'm supposed to lose this fight okay all right well I'm gonna show you then so I get in the ring first round it was close second round it was close third round I started pouring on the guy. And again, I had an attitude. I wanted to show these fans. I wanted to show everybody, hey, y'all didn't mess with the wrong guy. So <laughs> I'm talking to this guy and I'm telling him, I'm like, you from Brazil. <laughs> you play soccer. <laughs> you don't box. I'm the one that box. And I'm beating on this guy and I'm beating him not only physically, I'm beating him mentally. And a few rounds later, I knock him out. Well, I go back and I look at the film. Tell me why there's a lot of people walking around. There's particularly one guy. He was a friend of mine walking around collecting money from everybody. Everybody was betting against me. He went around the room just collecting money, you know, from everybody that he bet in the audience. And I just thought it was a funny thing. It was a surreal thing. But that let me know that, hey, I was a bad boy and I was able to deal with with pressure and and I was able to deal with even even height and, and guys that had, you know, advantages over me. Um, so that, that I would say that fight was 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 an awesome experience man, to have and go through. It's a great story. Um, all right. So l- let's finish with a, a few current topics, since you are, of course, now an ESPN analyst. You follow the sport day in and day yeah. out. And um, I, I've noticed you sometimes have strong opinions about things. So, uh, so let's let's sometimes. let's get your t- sometimes on occasion, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, so let me let me start with uh, Crawford. Sometimes, come on. <laughs> you know all right, <laughs> all right. Maybe maybe all the time. Maybe all the time. Let me let me start with uh, Crawford and Spence. Do, do you think it's going to happen in 2023? And how disappointed will you be personally if it doesn't happen? Look, I'm always optimistic. Uh, I always think that, you know, big fights will happen. Um, but I, I just I, – I hope the fight happens. And I will be extremely disappointed if it doesn't happen at the end of the day. Um, I just – man, I, I go back and forth with this because, look, I pay attention to what these guys, they, they say, you know. And it's become more of a, 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 a money – business thing over just the sport itself you know when you have two top guys Crawford and and, and Spence you know it, it doesn't make any sense both of them bring so much to the table one not more than the other I know Spence has three belts but Crawford is the pound for pound you know king right now in my opinion 
Uh, he's he's fought, he undisputed champion, you know, three to weight class. I mean, he's done a lot. I don't understand why there's not a 50-50 split involved. So when you have money that kind of not allowing this fight to happen, it's like, who's at fault? Who is at fault? So like Crawford, for instance, let me tell you this. Crawford was willing to give whatever. All he was asking for was pretty much, and he came out saying this was pretty much, I need clarity of how I'm going to basically get paid. Right. You know, I need clarity about how the split's going to go or how the revenue is going to happen, you know, because you just, you need to know that. And he was not going to be given that. So it's like, okay, do you just take a fight and just say, all right, forget it. I don't care. You know, and at the end of the day, it's Spence. It's Spence really, really, truly wanted this fight. He would say, Al, give him whatever he wants, Al. I really want this fight. So I, I don't know who to blame here, man, but I got to tell you this. Guys, get it together, man. Like, all this, I'm more popular than you, and you, uh, that is garbage. That is the indication that somebody doesn't want this damn fight. That pretty much it. Somebody doesn't want this fight. And clearly, um, clearly, if if this doesn't get resolved, the fight's not going to happen, man. The fight's not going to happen. And it's a shame. It's a shame on both these guys' careers because I think both of them need each other, man. Yeah. Both of these guys, they need each other. So uh, that's my – I mean, that's what I think at the end of the day. Uh, I, I, I would love to see it if it doesn't happen. What a shame for boxing. And we'll never know who's the best welterweight is in today's boxing. One fight that does look like it's going to come together, and it does seem to be partly because the two fighters demanded it, is Javante Davis and Ryan Garcia. And I'm wondering if you have any early thoughts about who you might favor in that matchup. Javante Davis all day. <laughs> Javante Davis all day. But here's why. So, like, people say that, oh, Javante Davis, or they say pick a fighter just based upon, <laughs> oh, I like that guy. No, that's not what I do. I mean, I look at film, man. I'm constantly looking at film. Uh, and... I, I see I see some strengths with 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 Davis that I think that won't be beneficial for Garcia. Garcia tends to I would say somewhat he runs red lights, man. Like like mm-hmm. sooner or later, man, you 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 either gonna get in a terrible accident or you're gonna get caught by the cops. And I see Davis being that guy. I see Davis being that disciplined. You know, following the game plan. Okay, I might be down on the cards, but you know what? I'm waiting to set you up for that one shot, and it's night-night. You know, we've seen Garcia go down in the past. Yes, he's has shown the solid, the solid chin so far because if you get knocked down, you got to be able to get up. And he got up, and he finished strong against Campbell, and he was able to stop Campbell. But what happens when you get hit by a guy like Tank, who is notorious for putting guys to sleep, man. And what happens when you don't get outside foot control against the southpaw and you leave that foot on the inside and you have that southpaw lining up that left hand right down the middle like Tank can? What happens when you can't fight in the inside like Tank? Tank can rumble in the inside. He can fight inside the pocket. We saw it a little bit with Cruz. He also can box on the outside. Well, what that well what, with with Garcia, Garcia doesn't have an inside game developed yet, you know. So he's a guy. He's a guy that has his glass is probably I would say three quarters filled. You know, he's missing a piece. Mm-hmm. He's missing a piece, man. And 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 until then, 
he gets that piece, he don't get that piece, he's gonna have problems with Davis, man. Because mm. Davis, I'm telling you, he is Mr. Officer, Mr. Officer. He gonna make <laughs> him pay. He gonna make him pay, man. He is gonna make him pay for his mistakes. Standing up with his chin up in the air, palm sometimes with his jet. I mean, dude, I, I see a lot of fundamental flaws in Garcia's game. So I'm not just saying it. I I, I know it. I see it. And he's going to get knocked out. Mm-hmm. Garcia's getting knocked out. Wow. That that analogy about uh, run, running the red light and either getting in an accident or you get pulled over, it f- it feels like you're, you're channeling your friend Teddy Atlas a bit with that one. That feels like a, <laughs> that feels like a Teddy Atlas kind of analogy. I'm, I'm getting, I'm, you know, you know what? I I I I'm getting better, a little bit better with my analogies because it's <laughs> like you gotta make, gotta try to make it live for the fans at home. Yep, yeah. Fans at home. So I've been trying to definitely get a little, bring in a little bit more analogy to my, my to, 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 to the way I analyze fights. But yeah, just breaking it down like that, I think that makes sense to people, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a Sweet. good one. Um, so the, the last fighter that we want to ask you about, uh, is, is Tyson Fury. Um, do you think we'll see him against Usyk next year? Um, and, and, and when it's all said and done, is Tyson Fury going to go down as like an all time heavyweight great, like possibly even in the conversation with the guys like Ali and Joe Lewis? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't, it, it, we can't put them in there yet. Uh, mm-hmm. As far as I can just tell you this, I think the fight will happen. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of money on the table. I think it's going to possibly happen in Saudi, Saudi Arabia. Um, I think they I think they want the fight. Um, Usyk said that he wants it uh fury said he wants it so i think the fight will happen um the question is is when it's going to happen i don't know uh i favor fury in the fight in the fight we have this saying in boxing a great big man to beat a great small man you know fury is is the biggest heavyweight or one of the biggest heavyweights that we've ever seen in the sport he's light on his feet you know he's agile he's smart he can punch he can brawl. I mean, Fury can do it all. And he's six foot nine. Like, <laughs> like that's unheard of. Yeah. You know, how is he so light on his feet like that, man? You know, and you have Usyk, who's who's somewhat of a sharpshooter. You know, he's smart. He, he understands. He has this game that he likes to play, get in and out on guys. But he's not. I, I don't feel he's going to be able to do that against Tyson Fury. Uh, although Usyk is a tremendous fighter. He is a tremendous fighter. Um, but as far as all-time great, man, that's a that's a huge, huge word, man. Mm, right. <laughs> that's huge words, man. Um, I think Fury can compete uh, in any era or just about any era because of his size alone and skill set. But when it comes to resume, Fury has to run through <laughs> this entire heavyweight division to be to even considered to be one of the mongs, the greatest of all time. In boxing, you know, although I think he would he would definitely give Muhammad Ali a run for his money because of the size difference and right. his boxing ability. And, you know, Frazier and all these other guys yeah, that came before him, you know, but you got to have that resume, man. That resume is somewhat thin, in my opinion. But if he beats Usyk, if he gets Joshua, if he gets uh, he already beat um, he already beat Wilder couple, uh, three well, two times. Um, I mean, who else is there for Fury to face after that that you think is a threat? That's important to know. That's important to know. 
And if he does that and cleans up, then he, I think he'll be considered the, the best of this generation, no doubt about it. No, the right. best of this generation. But all time, mm, that's a hard one, dude. No way. Mm. Little much. Okay. <laughs> yeah, man. Come on, because if you look at if you look at Ali and all the guys he faced, man. I mean, shoot, the list is is, is ginormous. I mean, he's fought yeah. all of the greats, you know, and and at a young age as well. So. I, I just it's just hard it's hard to fathom that he will be considered the best of all time so okay damn it was always a joy interviewing you when you were an active boxer it might be even more fun interviewing you now yeah. this is fantastic thank you <laughs> man, so much I, hey i appreciate you man i i do the best i can man at the end of the day <laughs> uh, i do the best i can man but i, I just i just can't uh, it's hard for me to, to to just pass that torch easily and you have a lot of guys that are you know recency bias uh, like I said in the past, I said, Fury can't compete. I think he can compete in any era, you, you know, and I think he might have even could have beat Ali. But the fact that he's not in that era and the fact that he's in this era where the he the heavyweight is a bit thin, some so to speak, you know, and, you know, he took care of business. And if he fought all the best guys, then we can say, you know what? He was the best in this in this era. No doubt. No doubt about it. He's the best in this era. So we'll see what happens with Usyk if he beats Usyk and he. He continues on fighting. Uh, he'll be he'll be, he'll be definitely be the best in this era, man. No doubt about it. Tim, thanks a lot again. Really appreciate it, and congratulations yeah. on being elected to the Hall of Fame. Hey, I deserve it. hey, I appreciate it, man. You know, I I I, I always tell all these guys, and I'm critical, and this is why I'm critical, man. I'm critical because I I, I think it has two it's two things. One, that's how I was raised. So my father was always critical with me, and I've kind of learned to be this way because of my father. You know, my father used to always say, you don't play this sport of boxing. Like, this is serious. You know, like, it's sacrifice. It's suffering, you know. And you 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 have to understand that you have to give it your all, son. You know, because you can get hurt. You can die in this sport. It's not like football and, 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 and basketball and all these other sports where Somebody gets knocked out and everybody's all <gasps> moment of silence. <gasps> He's knocked out, you know. Oh, this is terrible. Boxing is like, you knocked them out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, man. You, man. you knocked them out, you know. And when it's that real, man, you know, you you want to have people that are going to be honest to you and honest with you to help build you. Yeah. Not not just yes, sir, mans, and build your ego up and tell you you're the greatest and this and that and that. You know, like, I'll give praises when praises are due. When praises, I see it. I'm, man, I've seen a major improvement. I'm going to give you the praises. But when I see the bad and that the bad can actually come to your demise to where you can become knocked out in the future and, 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 and you or, or this past one just recently, a guy don't even show up to really fight or win. I have a problem with that because there's a lot of fighters in this world that don't get these opportunities or don't earn these opportunities that would love to be in these type of situations. And when you have someone like, I, I don't even want to say his name, that don't come up and want to perform at the highest level, man, that's a problem for me. That is a serious problem for me. So, Well, thank you, ma'am. We appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, great stuff. Great talking to you. And, and hope, hopefully uh, Showtime will send us to uh, to Canastota again next June and we'll be able to to see you in person. Well, man, you know what? Appreciate I appreciate this this interview. Uh, thank you so much for, you know, for voting for me. 
Uh, you know, it's definitely an honor to be here on the, on the show with you guys. And, and Showtime, again, you know, still my family, no doubt about it, man. We go way back, and it feels it feels great to be the first Showbox champion on, on Showtime. So <laughs> yeah. I, I got that title. It's awesome. Yep. <laughs> yep, you'll always have that one. <laughs> yep, that and, that and Hall of Famer now, too. All right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Man, that was terrific. Uh, I really enjoyed that. I know it's my job to end the interviews and usher the guests off the stage, but I don't think Tim wanted to leave. Uh, <laughs> no, he, wasn't, he wasn't taking your cues there too he well. He was not. <laughs> uh, that was great. And he was just the same when he was an active boxer. You know, he was always honest, always generous with his time. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Um, one thing to add, I double-checked his box rec record afterwards, and the tall, well-built Brazilian he was talking about was indeed one of the other names he suggested, Marcus Andre Rocacosta, whom Tim defeated by KO5 in his seventh fight. So there you go, a little little bit of fact-checking for you there. All right. Okay, let's move on to this week's top five assignment. And it kind of sort of follows on directly from that interview with Tim. Uh, as we all noted, Tim retired relatively young um, with a long future ahead of him, but he didn't get to end his career quite on his own terms, however. His final fight was a points loss to the only man ever to beat him, Manny Pacquiao. Uh, but some people do get to end their career exactly on their own terms. And my challenge for you this week, Eric, is to name for me the top five mic drop career endings. Barchers who mm. won, and then walked away. It's a hard thing to do. Bernard Hopkins, Hall of Famer and all-time great, tried it and failed. Miguel Cotto, Hall of Famer, matinee idol, general awesome person, <laughs> tried it and failed. But some do succeed, scoring an impressive win and then fighting no more and never looking back. There aren't that many, but there are a few. So who makes your list, Eric? I like this a lot. This is a sort of a, a topic that I've, I've thought about in certain ways how to possibly assign something like this but never quite found the right wording or the right framing i like this top five mic drops uh yeah i'm thinking now of hopkins and joe smith something got dropped but it wasn't a mic <laughs> um, exactly. so but this this is good not not a lot go out on a on a triumphant note but uh i'm sure i can come up with at least five that, that certainly I think did you can. Yes. all right Okay, uh, sad news to discuss. Uh, we mentioned it at the top of the podcast. Uh, referee Steve Smoker, a 2015 inductee of the International Boxing Hall of Fame, died on December 19th after a long illness. Uh, Smoker began his career as a referee in Atlantic City in 1984. And over the next three plus decades, he officiated more than 200 title fights, including Bernard Hopkins versus Felix Trinidad, Kelly Pavlik versus Jermaine Taylor, the James Tony Mike McCallum draw, the Super Six finals between Andre Ward and Carl Froch, and on and on and on. He also did a bit of TV work in the last decade as an on-air officiating expert for PBC Fights, which is how you got to know him, Eric. Um, I know that you have some personal thoughts you'd like to share, so I'll give you the floor to pay tribute to the great Steve Smoger. Yeah, I'll start on a non-personal level and just say he was one of the very best referees. Um, although, let's acknowledge that I am biased against referees with a propensity for stopping fights prematurely. <laughs> and that was certainly never Steve Smoger. Uh, he had a well-earned reputation for giving a fighter every chance to come back to recover from a knockdown and, and see what he had. But that doesn't mean he let fights go too long. It, it seemed like 99 times out of 100, Steve was giving the right amount of rope and, and called the stoppage at the right time. I can't think of one example where he let a fight go clearly beyond where it should have. That was Glenn Tapia against James Kirkland. I thought his judgment mm. was off that night and he let Tapia take too much punishment. 
But that's it. Uh, otherwise, Steve was a ref who gave guys a chance, but then seemed to know when they were beaten. Um, most famously, there's the Pavlik-Taylor fight, which I honestly think more than half of all referees mm. would have blown that fight. So thank goodness Steve was the referee that night. He allowed Pavlik to get through a really rough patch and earn a championship win and give the fans a classic fight. Uh, he was the ref in Mickey Ward, Emmanuel Augustus. Uh, that was the first time I remember noticing Steve give his semi-trademark kisses on the cheek to the fighters after it was <laughs> over. Um, he worked a lot of fight of the year caliber fights, and and I think that was no accident. He, he gave mm. a fight every opportunity to get good. Tony Girov, Trinidad Mayorga, Koto Malinaji. Those were all very Steve Smoger fights. Um, mm. Bottom line, when Steve was announced as the ref, you knew you were in good hands. On a more personal level, I didn't really know Steve. Made him met him once or twice briefly at ringside, but I didn't really know him until 2015 and 2016 when we worked several PBC on NBC broadcasts together. I was the ringside scorer and put the pre-fight notes together. Steve was the rules consultant, both in the pre-fight broadcast meetings and then on air during the fights chiming in very occasionally if something needed clarification. And he and I bonded quickly because we sort of got partnered up as the two quasi-talent members of the team. Uh, like, uh, you know, you had the rotating blow-by-blow guys and Sugar Ray Leonard and BJ Flores. They were up on a pedestal. But like, if the car service came to take everyone from the hotel to the venue, Steve and I were the guys who weren't quite sure if there was going to be room for us <laughs> or if we were calling an Uber. Um, so the two of us partnered up a lot and grabbed meals together, particularly over eight at this barbecue place in Houston. Uh, this was before I gave up the meat. Uh, and, and we just really enjoyed each other's company and stayed in touch a bit after those NBC shows ended. Steve was just a, a really warm guy, made everybody feel like they were his friend, always carried himself with class, just a pro's pro in everything he mm. did. and. The only bad thing I have to say about the guy is that his Hall of Fame induction speech was way too damn long, <laughs> like way too long, painful. Um, but if that's the only bad thing I can say about you, that's pretty good. Uh, so so there you have it. Uh, th- this is a sad one. Great guy. Mm-hmm. Great podcast guest. The one time we had him on. Yep. Everyone in boxing who knew him misses him already. Yeah, that was my only interaction with him at all that I'm aware of uh, that I can recall was when we had him on the podcast a year or two ago, and he uh, enjoyed showing us his Hall of Fame ring, I would assume. (laughs) But it's, you know, it's obviously with the fact that he passed away so shortly after Mills Lane, you know, those two will sort of be talked about uh, together and and quite rightly so, really, right? Because they were at the top of their games at the same time as well. You know, Mills fiefdom was Las Vegas while Steve really reigned in Atlantic City and the East Coast. And, you know, they approached their their work in different ways. Mills always seemed very officious and serious. And Steve was, you know, like he said, very collegial. Yeah. Um, and with a real enthusiasm for boxes. Um, you know, that you mentioned the fact that he would sometimes, you know, give boxes kiss on the cheek at the end of a good fight. And remember him urging Lou Savarese to get off the deck against Lance Whitaker. Like, right. Not because he was favoring Savarese because it was a heck of a fight and he wanted to see both guys keep going and i remember also the contempt that he had for caro murat uh at the end of murat's fight with bernard yes. hopkins even sort of pushing him away at the final bell not because he necessarily favored hopkins but murat just offended him with the way that he approached the fight with not trying to engage and and with fouling you know down the stretch and that kind of violated the boxer's code as far as steve was concerned um you know even though the two guys are 
approached their work seemingly in the ring differently. They both deeply loved and respected boxing and boxers. Yes. And they took a pride in their work and took very seriously their responsibilities. They are two of the most appreciated and beloved referees in the modern history of the sport. And both their departures leave a real void. Yeah, for sure. Well said. Um, all right. Uh, quick change of, of mood and tone here uh, as we transition now to an annual tradition here on Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney, our year-end awards picks. Uh, I have my tuxedo on. Kieran has his <laughs> on. We have the trophies. We're going to keep Will Smith's wife's name out our mouths and uh, <laughs> announce some awards. Uh, Kieran, why don't you kick it off with your pick for round of the year? But if Will Smith suddenly appeared in my office here and smacked me, I'd be, I'd be shocked. Um, but, You'd ask for his autograph, though, probably. <laughs> yeah, there is that. Um, I didn't even really enjoy G.I. Jane. But anyway, um, yeah, round of the year. Actually, most years I find this the most difficult category of all because there's just there's always a round or two in some fight somewhere that, that I end up forgetting. And I'm sure that's the case here, and I'm sure that's the case for quite a few of these. But nonetheless, this year it does seem to me that there is one that stands above the rest. Um, some of the, the ones that I thought about, one was a fight that we didn't actually cover, but I, I actually just recently um, watched part of it from last month. Uh, Kenshiro Taraji stopping Hiroto Kiyoguchi in seven to unify a pair of junior flyweight belts. The round in question was the fifth, hmm. when he looked about to stop him. Um, but after Kiyoguchi was dropped, he came back and rallied really hard for the rest of that round. Uh, that was a good round. Uh, round 12 of uh, Lee Wood, Michael Condon, which saw uh, Wood suck it up while uh, on the verge of the feet and knock Condon through the ropes and out. Round 5 of Katie Taylor, Amanda Serrano, when Serrano had Taylor absolutely ready to go, but Taylor somehow hung on and rallied down the stretch. They were all the ones I thought about, but for me, the best and the best for much of the the year was Sebastian Fundora, Ericsson Lubin, round seven. Um, Fundora had been absolutely battering Lubin in the round when Lubin, toward the end of the round, just suddenly launched the counterattack and, and forced Fundora to the canvas. Fundora, of course, would come back to win the fight, a fight that I'm sure we'll discuss in the fight of the year category. But for me, I think round seven of that fight is the round of the year. All right, so the good news is that uh, although we share a brain, uh, we had some slightly different runners-up. <laughs> ah, good. <laughs> um, like, there were certainly a lot of strong candidates, but but for me, it came down to a pair of Showtime rounds. Um, most of the categories won't be this way for me, uh, so Showtime-centric. But but this one, I thought the standout rounds were the fifth round of Jermel Charlo, Brian Castaño mm. 2. Just a, a nonstop action round that was nearly impossible to score. That's my runner-up, but my winner is the same as yours. The seventh round of Fundora Lubin. Just for the insane drama of the final minute of the round. I mean, Lubin's face was becoming grotesquely swollen. He got hurt yeah. early in the round. He was covering up and moving away. And I wrote down in my notes, Lubin's face, a total mess. They need to stop it soon if he doesn't land a bomb. And almost on cue, he started <laughs> landing bombs. He hurt Fundora. Fundora staggered around, eventually dropped to a knee. Just incredible drama and a gutsy last stand from Lubin. So... One for one on having the same picks. Let's see. Uh, let's see if it ends up five for five. Uh, the next award is knockout of the year. Um, I started with four contenders. I was debating between, but then I quickly crossed off two of them as okay. great, but not great enough to win. And then I was left with a tough choice between two very different types of knockouts. There was Lee Wood KO12 Michael Conlon, uh, which you mentioned in round of the year. The, the end of a dramatic battle 
Wood lands a shot that has Conlon suddenly out on his feet, like fully out, just hadn't quite fallen over, and then lands another punch that sends him out of the ring to the floor. And the other one, a less dramatic moment in a, in a less great fight, but a more visceral knockout punch, and from a very unexpected source, Caleb Plant knocking out Anthony Durrell in round nine. He set it up with a left to the body, paused a half second and uncorked a left to the jaw, and Durrell was down and out. Plant kind of ruined it a little by miming the shoveling of dirt on Durrell, mm-hmm. but nevertheless, I'm picking it for my knockout of the year. It was, to me, rewatchable over and over in a way that Wood Conlin wasn't quite. And I'm the other way around. Okay. Uh, I had the same two finalists. Um, I would have had Terence Crawford over David Avanesian uh, mm-hmm. in there as well, but the whole glove issue kind of, you know, yeah. kind of cast the pole on that. Um, but otherwise, it was between these two for me. Um, I wanted to give, and I did because I can give Plant Durrell extra points for its sheer improbability. Like right. you said, it's not Caleb Plant is the the guy you you expect to to come up with that, but. I think you get extra points when you knock your guy out the ring cold. I just do. And onto the floor. And sure. and and it sort of came... What I liked about it, too, was it wasn't immediately obvious from the camera angle that we saw of what kind of a punch it was. And we talked about this when we discussed the fight, that there was another ringside angle that I saw afterwards that showed just what a beautiful, short right hand it was. Uh, hardly any movement in it. Boom, Conlon was out and, and out of the ring. Two excellent contenders. I would I have no problem with playing over Darrell, not least because, as you said, the shocking uh, element of it. But uh, yeah, I give Conlon. Yeah, likewise, I have no problem with with someone picking Wood Conlon. And and I'll just note that, you know, I'd said I started with four contenders. Crawford Avenesian was one of them. And then the other one was uh, Joe Cordenia's second round knockout of uh, of Ogawa was uh, the other one that kind of stood out to me until I rewatched it and felt like, okay, it's not quite on par with the top two here. Gotcha. Let's move on to upset of the year. I, I feel like we didn't have as many good choices this year as last year. We, I mean, we had Cambosis Lopez and, and Martina, Martin Garcia, not Martin Garcia. <laughs> right. Um, but a couple do come to mind. Uh, one was early in the year when Hector Luis Garcia just took it to Chris Colbert. But what seemed like an upset at the time, in retrospect, it turns out that Garcia is actually a very good fighter, which is why he's getting an opportunity against Javante Davis for in, in just a few days. Um, and Colbert was still a prospect slash contender, so the seismic impact was not that great. That's not the case with what did get my vote, which is Dimitri Bivol uh, uh, getting a unanimous decision over Canelo Alvarez. In hindsight, it shouldn't have been considered such an upset. Uh, a lot of us just didn't give Bivol enough credit going into this, and I'm certainly guilty of that. Um, but when you not only beat the man regarded at the time as the number one pound for pound in the sport, but ultimately, at least down the stretch, pretty much take him to school, it's an upset, no matter how good you are going in. So for me, it is Bivol over Canelo. All right, so we've done the same thing again, where we have the same top two, but uh, split on which one to actually give it to. Um, And and it's really just a matter of perspective and criteria and kind of what makes an upset the upset of the year. And I totally get making it Bivol over Canelo. Um, For me, it was the fact that Bivol wasn't that big an underdog. Mm. I mean, nobody was picking him hardly, but, but he was highly regarded, undefeated. The bigger guy, Canelo, was moving up to his weight class. It wasn't unthinkable. It was entirely thinkable 
even if it wasn't yes. what anyone was necessarily predicting. So I have it as the runner-up to Hector Garcia over Chris Colbert gotcha. because Garcia was a total unknown. Colbert was one of boxing's brightest prospects. Uh, I looked up the odds again just to see what they were. Canelo was like a minus 400 betting favorite over Bivol, which is a lot. Colbert was as high as minus 2,500 over Oof, Garcia. Wow. Um, now, again, that's just people not knowing Garcia. And you're right that in retrospect, uh, it's not the upset that it seemed in the moment. But um, and, and certainly Bivol, Canelo, the magnitude of the fight put it on another level to make it a fine choice for upset of the year. But to me, Garcia Colbert was the more shocking one, the one I didn't see coming at all. Mm-hmm. All right. Now we're getting to the big ones. Uh, mm-hmm. Fight of the year is here. And. I've been tipping my hand on this most of the year. I've said plenty of times that this was my leading candidate for fight of the year and nothing came along and surpassed it. And I know some media members separate out men's awards and women's awards. We don't here. A fight is a fight. And the fight of the year was Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano. Even though I disagreed with the decision, that doesn't diminish the fight at all for me. This delivered every second of every round Great drama with Taylor badly hurt in the middle of the fight, but battling back. Such skill on display to go along with all the heart we were seeing. These are two of the very best in the sport, evenly matched, heavily hyped, and surpassing all hype. This is going to go down as a historic fight, a a fight that reframed women's boxing. Like 20 years from now, I'm not sure if anyone will still be talking about Wood Conlon or Charlo Castaño too, or or whatever other top runners up there are. I do fully expect that 20 years from now, Taylor Serrano will remain a reference point that every fight fan knows. So that's my pick for fight of the year, any and all genders included. Well, I'm really glad we got our vicious disagreements out of the (laughs) way. Um, My notes were exactly the same as yours, really. Uh, I've also pick Eddie Taylor, Amanda Serrano, for all the reasons that you talked about. It was a terrific fight, a very skillful fight. It was an exciting fight. It had momentum swings. Um, Both fighters showed tremendous guts as well as tremendous skills. But really, ultimately, it's the momentous nature of it as well that that really lifts it up. A a packed Madison Square Garden crowd. And, And I texted to, um, I can't remember if I said this on the podcast at the time, but I texted to our friend Ed Mulholland, um, the photographer now for Matchroom, right. and, and, you know, a former colleague of ours at HBO. I said, this, like, 10 years from now, um, women boxers interviewed in the ring after a fight will say, I was inspired by this fight to yes. realize that I could become a boxer. And he actually told me that he was doing a photo shoot with Katie and he told her that and she teared up. Oh, look at you. Look, look get, at get, I mean, getting the, getting it, the feels out of Katie Taylor. Katie Taylor almost cry. So there you go. Um, but no, just everything about this fight. Uh, uh, absolutely fantastic. Like Brian Campbell uh, a couple of weeks ago, I kind of kicked myself for not being there. The New York is not very far from Vermont. Um, What a night. What a, yeah, what a terrific fight. Uh, Completely agree with you there. All right. And that brings us finally to fighter of the year. And I am afeard, sir, that there will be no disagreement here as well. Um, Yeah, there's not. I suspect we're going to have the same top two anyway. for much of the year, I thought this was Jesse Bam Rodriguez's to lose. And he did nothing wrong to lose it. Um, we've talked about what a great year he had, beating Teresa Ketzel, Rung Visay, and Carlos Quadras on his way to going, I think it was 4-0 for the year. If you want to give that award to Bam, get no great argument here. But 
I do think that beating two ever so slightly faded legends is not quite enough to surpass schooling the pound for pound number one and dominating a legitimate number one contender. That's what Dimitri Bivol did. We've spoken a lot about him and his achievements, even in this segment. Uh, there's no need for me to add much more except to say, congratulations, Dimitri. You are my fighter of the year. Yeah, he's he's everybody's fighter of the year who uh, who I respect. Uh, yeah. I mean, I I don't see much reason to waste time on this. It's got to be Bivol. The, the only thing I'll disagree with you on uh, is, you know, just now and, and when we were talking to Brian Campbell the other week, you sort of said Bam Rodriguez was a close second. He is second. Oh, you don't think so? I, okay. He's definitely yeah. second. I just don't think it's all that close. Gotcha. Um, like, yeah. I didn't have to spend even half a second debating gotcha. this in my mind. Um, Bevel convincingly beat the pound-for-pound king and biggest star in the sport and then dominated a very good 44-0 fighter in Sergio Ramirez. His 2022 stacks up against almost any recent fighter of the year yeah. year. That's an A++ kind of year. So not much else to say. Let's not waste time. It's Bevel. You're wrong if you say it's anyone else. Yeah. Let's get to the fight game, shall we? Indeed. Although I do want to just once again highlight our vicious disagreement there. <laughs> one of us saying Bam was a close second and one of us saying, nope, he was just second. I mean, yes. people who think that there's no disagreement here, that, right. that we couldn't step in for one of those screaming head shows on ESPN, <laughs> they're wrong. Yeah, I, I actually I feel bad now for attacking you the way I did just now about the close second thing. I I'm went full Stephen A on you and, and, you and yeah, I, I, t- I, I should have been more cordial and gentle about that. My apologies. Yep. Yeah, well, I, I'm gonna. I'm, that's gonna hurt for a little while. But it's a we'll good thing that we're do. heading into a holiday break and we have some time to just just cool off and bring the temperature down a little. A yeah, I agree. I agree. Okay. <laughs> All right, fight game time. Uh, and uh, and you're on your own, Kieran. You don't get Brian Campbell to help you or or to drag <laughs> did you down. Did Brian really help you? Right. Well? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure he did. <laughs> All right, you ready? Uh, clue one. Uh, Mega vague. As, as we often are uh, with Clue 1. Although, in my opinion, maybe about 2% less vague than your useless It Took Place at a Classic Venue opener <laughs> last time. Next time it's just going to be It Happened. Right. Well, the, well then, a fight that if, you, if you start with It Happened, then I'm going to say Foreman Moore. Foreman Moore, yes. Right. Okay. Anyway, here is your actual very vague opening clue. This fight saw an undefeated fighter lose his perfect record. Only a few million fights to choose from, from boxing history. Does it necessarily follow that he suffered his first loss, just that he lost his perfect record? Could have been a draw. Yeah, okay, fine. I will clarify. The okay. undefeated fighter lost. The undefeated fighter lost. Well, that never did. Throw uh, a name out there. Frazier Ali won. Incorrect, but a fine guess. An undefeated fighter did lose that night. All right. Clue number two. This fight was named Fight of the Year by the ring, but not by the BWAA. In other words, it was the fight of the year to some. Hmm. Interesting. Um... We're gonna do. I, I feel like I hear a, a pen clicking in the oh, background. Oh yeah, you do. That's, <laughs> that's a fun sub game. What noises is the other person <laughs> making as they ponder? Shall Shall I move along to clue yeah, three? Yeah, let's move along. Yeah, this, along. The, that's that's. Not feeling this, good about my chances here. 
All right. No, actually, you, you may get it here. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll refresh uh, the, the, the listeners and you on what we have so far. Undefeated fighter lost his perfect record. Fight of the year from the ring, but not BWAA. You may get it with this one. Clue three is usually that dividing line. Let's see yeah. if this gives it away. The fight featured four knockdowns, two apiece, but no knockout. Huh. No, it's not helping at all. Um, okay. No, I'm drawing a complete blank. I'm sure there are listeners now who are screaming, screaming at me. They may be. It, I will say this isn't one of the official clues, but it's just occurring to me. This is even though it was fight of the year from the ring, I would say this is a slightly lower profile fight than the other ones okay. we've done so far. So no embarrassment that you haven't gotten it yet. Like, like I said, okay. I, Clue 3 could have given it away to some people, but I, I think it's it's fine that it didn't. I think Clue 4 will give it away when you put these all together. Okay. The fight earned the winner a shot at Floyd Mayweather. So now you have a, a decent sense of the era, the, the, the rough time frame. The winner got a shot at Floyd Mayweather by winning a fight of the year to some that featured four knockdowns. Oh, <laughs> there it is. It's one of those where you when you get it, you get it. Is Victor Ortiz and Andre Berto? Yes, that is ah, correct. Ah, that was a damn good fight. Yes, it sure was. And and, you know, it's a it's a good thing uh, that I didn't give you this one on a week when Brian Campbell was here because he would have gotten this one quickly because he was there and he talks ah. about this being like one of the greatest fights he's ever seen. Um, I'm not sure um, if I subconsciously thought of it to give to you uh, because we just had BC on, but uh, I figured that would be a good one. Do you, do you want to know what the uh, yeah, what was number five? clue five? So it was going to be all the factual details. Uh, the site was Foxwoods. The date was April 16th, 2011. And it was the main event of a split site doubleheader with Amir Khan versus Paul McCluskey. And if if you still didn't get it there, I would have said that oh, the I didn't wi- remember that detail. I must say the split site double header. I didn't. Were you that and at all. were you at this fight? I I, I can't recall. Okay, no. all right. So that that also would have made it easier. I think you would have remembered it more quickly if you were actually there. But mm. after all that, if you still hadn't gotten it, I would have told you that the winner was a spokesman for Face Lube, and, <laughs> and the loser the loser was not Andre Ernio. <laughs> Come on. Come on. How could how could we end the 2022 podcasting year any other way? <laughs> that a terrible Raskin pun. Yes. Oh my goodness me. Yes. Uh, that was a darn good fight. Yeah. It, I like it, that. it was. Yeah, it's a good one to go watch back. I when I gave you the the knockdowns clue, I thought about including like the rounds of the knockdowns. I wasn't mm. sure if I guess that probably it seems like that wouldn't have helped, and it wasn't until the Floyd Mayweather bit that, that, that you pieced it together. But I could have told you one knockdown in the first, other guy down in the second, both down in the sixth. I don't know if that would have made a difference for you. But No, I don't think – I just wasn't getting it until you said Floyd Mayweather, and then I was going back – because I was ringside for a lot of Floyd's fights. Right. And so I was going back through you know who, who what, what Floyd fights I was thinking. I was there for and yeah no there you go then it just suddenly came to mind yep yes all right the fight game remains fun no doubt about it fun for us and fun for the listeners I'm I'm standing by that and fun for Brian Campbell he said so exactly exactly and you know he's got some stroke around here so there you go yep 
Yeah. All right. That will do it, not just for this episode, but for this year of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. We will be back next week to kick off 2023 with a preview of the Javante Davis against the aforementioned Hector Garcia pay-per-view. Uh, another round of the fan fight game, Eric's top five list answers, and more besides. Until then, thank you very much for listening. Enjoy the holidays. Be safe, be kind, and be well.